and three, two, two and a half. Hello and welcome to two and three quarters and beer. Today's beer of the day is by Rogue Brewing Company. It is a hazelnut brown nectar. It is a brown ale uh, with hazelnut flavor. It is blah 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 blah. It is five point six percent in alcohol by volume. Has a IBU of thirty three. Now, by you skipping to the end and saying blah blah, we just lost half our followers. Says you. <laughs> <laughs> no, they skipped to the end too. Today, um, before we get into this beer review, today we have a big episode. We a long episode. This episode, I think, is almost it's almost two hours long, if not more. Can you handle it? Because we have an interview with a Star Wars, a Star Wars impersonator. What would you call him that? Our event coordinator? Yeah, yeah. Did you just call Star him a Wars. Star Wars impersonator? Uh, it's like insulting. Is he's not impersonating is? anyone, man. Calm he down. Is himself. No, yeah, no, no. He's acting. It's not impersonating. He's not impersonating the officer. It's Calm your shit. He seems like a cool guy. Yeah, yeah. Dude, like he's great, man. Uh, everything he does is amazing. Uh, he he's got future projects coming up in the work. Uh, look him up. His name is Matthew Overstar. Nova Star. No, fuck it. Uh, uh, pronounce his last name. Fuck it. Fuck the Nova Star. Everyone knows Nova Star. <laughs> Say, uh, what was his we last name? We don't know his last name yet. Dare Risk Dream. We're gonna go ahead and try this hazelnut brown nectar ale by Rogue Brewing Company. Brown nectar ale. Now, when they say hazelnut, they're talking actual hazelnut, not no sweet creamer type of hazelnut. This is a different... This is brewed with hazelnut. This is a different uh, animal than other... Mm. <laughs> Tastes roasty. I know, right? Tastes like a... Like a campfire. Yeah. Chestnuts. But this is hazelnuts. I guess I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now... What do you, uh, how would you describe this beer, Keenan? Mm. Well, not great on statistics like you are, but it's a uh, very mildly bitter. It's not an overly bitter. Bit- I'm saying it's very not bitter. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm not mildly say. bitter. I'm All right, there's a bitterness. If not, then you're not drinking a good beer. All right, you're drinking goddamn Budweiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a bitterness, but it's so so very mild. And you taste the hazelnut, and the... Uh, I like the carbonation on this one. A lot of beers recently haven't had that yeah, that great carbonation. Yeah, yeah, the carbonation yeah, yeah. has been good. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that. Uh, maybe I wouldn't acknowledge that had you not you said know, some that. You know, some beers just had that real flat taste to them. Yeah, like they're too afraid of being a soda. <laughs> and this one has just a, that has the perfect blend of carbonation. Like and, static uh, TB in your tongue. And you know, uh, uh, Keenan's mentioned this before. He d- he doesn't really enjoy uh, sweet beers, so no, the no, fact no. that this is more of a a the nut side of the hazelnut yeah. instead of the sweetness that it would be a hazelnut creamer or something like that. It's giving flavor to your beer while you're still feeling like you're drinking a a beer flavored beer. You know, beer flavored beer. Insane, insane in the membrane. Yeah, well, we 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 got some uh, interesting hosts. We got some uh, 
That's what lots to say, and that's what we're about here. We're, we're letting them say it all. We're not cutting them off. We're not uh, selling them short. We're not saying, hey, uh, your time of talking has come to an end, and now we have to go. We just literally let them go, and when they're done talking, that's the end of our episode. <laughs> exactly. We give. We like to give our guests the respect they deserve, and that's all the time that they need to deliver their story. Whatever story it may be. And uh I'm gonna give this I'm gonna give this beer. Shoot, we're just throwing nines out there. I think I'm gonna give it an 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 uh, eight. Nine? Eight. I was 5. thinking eight also. Eight? Yeah. Because yeah. it's almost too mellow. It doesn't like attack your taste buds, you know? We've had so many beers on this channel and uh you know, on this podcast, on this show, that uh, this beer is so mellow that I cannot give it the same rating I would give other beers. I cannot. It would contradict the ratings I've given. Uh, those so other maybe beers. a seven, even. Yeah, you know, it's just so drinkable that it might fall under uh, boring for people <laughs> that know true craft beer. <clears throat> Hello, Matthew. Aha! Uh-huh. I think we're getting it working. I hope. Oh heck yeah! Can you, can can you hear us well? Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Yes, cool. I can. Very oh, that, nice. that is cool. That is. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Let's make sure that you're. So which? Up. Yeah. The the fun part will be which one is Adam and which one is uh, who's the other one? <laughs> oh, it's a uh, Keenan. Yeah, it's Keenan. Keenan. Now you'll be like, okay, the pro tip of the day is can you figure out whose voice is whose? Exactly. Yeah. And we're, and we're going to change them up, too. Yeah. Man, what, I don't, this, this is what you get, man. I, I don't have any other voices. This is what you get, man. Oh. I don't have any other voices. That's not, that is not oh, what no. I sound like. You don't we even know now. Impersonator. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of different voices. My girlfriend says I do a good Christopher Walken, so I'll have to do that at one point. Oh yeah, yeah, man. I think Christopher Walken impressions are my favorite impressions. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, I see what you did there. Oh, like yeah, yeah, that, that was spot on. <laughs> Thanks. It's good to be here, guys. Listen. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that is, is pretty that, good. That is spot on. Yeah, that, that is, is pretty good. good. Oh <laughs> shit! You guys seem like a riot. <laughs> no, I don't know. The best one is I'm sure you guys have heard uh, Kevin Pollock's uh, impression of him. No, or I, I don't believe I have heard of Kevin Kevin Pollock. Oh my god! Well, Kevin Pollock, maybe it's I'm. I'm I'm dating myself at this point. I'm I'm kind of older or whatever. Kevin Kevin Pollock was a good comedian, you know, back in the '90s and whatnot. But um, he does great impressions, but especially his Christopher Walken one, and it became really famous. And like, I, I know he went on Saturday Night Live, and then he read a lot of. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. He read like, he's like, I'm Christopher Walken, and now I'll read you some children's stories. And then he's like, three little kittens. Lost the mittens. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Are you out of your damn mind? It was so funny, though. It's the funniest thing. And then he's like, okay, now I think I'm going to read a little bit from my favorite Chinese menus. 
from my favorite restaurants, and you're like, holy shit. So he's like, Mugu Gai Pan, and you're like, Jesus, it's the funniest <laughs> thing. Just hearing him say, you know, Chinese dishes like, uh, what, what else? <laughs> Kung Pao, chicken, damn, hot stuff. You know, and you're like, what? So funny. So that's a that's a really good impression. Do you do uh do you do a lot of impressions? You said. Uh, I don't know if it's a really good impression, but I appreciate it. Maybe it sounds better over the microphone. That, yeah, that might it be sounds the just it's like you, like, man. But let's see. Sometimes <laughs> I'll do other weird ones. Uh, well, I'm actually. I mean, there's so many different things we could talk about. But I'm like, I'm working on a screenplay right now, and it's intended to be animated. And so I do a lot of vocal work, and I have done so in the past. So a lot of times. Um, I've recorded different vocals for different characters for projects that I've done uh, in the past. So it's uh, I'm applying it for the uh, to the screenplay. But yeah, like I'll sometimes I'll do Arnold. You know, it'll be like what is it? Uh, you know, who told you that you could eat my cookie? Put the cookie down now. You know, so it's you know, do those things or whatever. Um, so Arnold is one. You know, I'm, I'm sure I do other ones too. Like I can. Sometimes I do a mean Harrison Ford, but I think I have to lean into the mic and just grumble mostly, right? <laughs> you yeah. just grumble. Have you ever well, uh, have you ever thought about dabbling in uh, the stand-up comedy world? Oh, my God. Well, it's funny you mentioned the stand-up comedy. So when I was in college, um, for some reason there was – well, I was obviously younger then, but there I was into acting then. I'm actually trying to get back into acting now, so that's another thing we can talk about if you want. But um, – so when I was in college and I was studying theater and acting, all this other stuff, you know, it was a different time, too. The Internet really was really brand new. I know it sounds retarded, like, you know, I'm sitting here saying, oh, my gosh, it's, uh, you know, the Internet was brand new when I was a kid. Um, but it really was. Cause this I remember was the, It was the 90s. It really, it really was. So I was there, and a, um, a comedy contest came up at the college. And my friends were like, oh, this is cool. And, pe you know, people were talking about it in the green rooms and stuff. You know, we're doing these theater projects. And they're like, Matthew, you should enter it. I'm like, what? no. I'm like, I, I don't think so. And they're like, I'll do it if you do it. I'm like, all right, fine. So then, you know, it was fun, like, literally having to kind of just do a little bit of research and be like, shit, what does it take to do a comedy routine? Like, you know, everybody takes it sort of for granted. You know, you, you just go and see these shows and these people are wonderful and they're funny. And you just, you laugh and you think, well, that, that that's... How hard could it be is what I think a lot of people uh, think about it. Yeah, and, I know exactly what, uh, what you mean. What you don't realize is if you want to make people laugh, it's one thing to say a joke and then get the hell out. But if you're on stage in front of a audience of 100 and or more people, you have to be funny for an hour. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like it's very easy to fuck up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I forced uh, I forced Keenan once to go up to do uh, open mic. Yeah, and like... I, I, it could have went worse. Like as as uh, nervous as I was, and I got so nervous, man. I just I pounded down like as many beers as I could until it was my turn to go on. And I'm like, surely this is a great idea. You know, this is exactly how I'm gonna be funny because I am a riot when I'm drunk. Give me another beer. Oh, Lord. So I get on stage and like like you were talking about, you got to have more than one joke. And like literally, all I kind of had was one joke. Now it was a story. So I told right. that one joke for, a, you know, a, a brief moment. Like, I told this story, and I got, like, a half-assed laugh from the crowd, and I was like, anyways, that's it, bye! <laughs> and then that was it, right? You were like, uh-oh. Yeah, and I was like, man, I did not have anything after that, you know? Like, like well, I, I had the whole story dragged out to where, like, 
they only gave you like 10 or 15, 30 minutes, something like that. And I had the story dragged out in my head to where it would take that long. But I got nervous yeah. and just sped through it. And I was like, all right, anyways, that's my joke. Bye. <laughs> right? I mean, and that's the thing is I can at least tell you from the experience that I have as an actor and whatnot is that it takes as much preparation as any other performance like a play or a film or whatever is you have to like people maybe didn't think this about robin williams by the way oh my god i miss him so much but um when he, he would prepare these things and he'd have to go through it and you have to memorize it and then there's also like sort of offshoots you have to kind of feel out the audience and if you're like if this isn't working and i'm going down this line of thinking with the joke and you feel it you change you, you <laughs> like i can't explain it it's it's like you don't make a exact roadmap most of the time if you're going to try to be funny. You really have to like just be in the moment and go off of the joke and enjoy it and, and play off the audience to some extent. At least that's what the professionals tend to do. At least everything that I had learned when I would uh, you know read about what they had to say. Like you can you know find books on comedy in the past and now, of course, with YouTube, which has now been around since I don't know 2006. I remember joining it when it first appeared, if you can believe it. Uh, 2005 and six, I'm going to say. Um, but anyway, like you can go and see videos on this stuff and, and learn more about what does it take. But, you know, like um, you guys ever like, uh, you know, you guys are running this little podcast thing. You guys are familiar with Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Do you guys yeah, like the JRE? Yes. It's so good, right? Like yeah. I love watching his <laughs> podcast. It's so good. Like he's always got these most interesting guests on. And Joe being a comedian himself, he understands like what does it take? And, you know, again, by the way, you shouldn't feel bad like every comedian bombs every single one you know robin had stories about where he's like oh yeah i remember when i was young and i went to this club and you know i i was great doing it somewhere else but then you do it in this club and just everybody was like boo you suck <laughs> get the fuck out and it's like what oh yeah like you everyone has imagine, a different taste can you like... imagine being that too like can you imagine if you were that guy like one day later like 20 years later you're like yeah i remember i went to a comedy club and we all booed robin williams can you imagine that yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the the record label that dissed the Beatles and shit. <laughs> yeah, right, right, <laughs> exactly. You're like, I turned down J.K. Rowling for Harry Potter, and I feel like an idiot now. Oh so yeah, yeah. Like, that, that, there's kind of, there's a whole bunch of those out there. I mean, you know what that reminds me of? That I mean, this is completely off topic, but uh, that reminds me of that dude who played Rhodey in the first Iron Man, and like yeah. you know the dude from Hustle and Flow and yes. shit. And then like they they weren't offering him enough money and actor drama, blah blah blah. So he dropped oh, yeah. out, and the other dude jumped in. Yeah, now that has skyrocketed right. his career. Now he's in the fucking Avengers, and I forget the dude's name that was in Hustle and Flow, but he's just like well, fuck. The, he's probably thinking, the man, newer I should one have is stuck. Don Cheadle, and then I forget who the other guy is, but he's also a very talented actor and yeah. and whatnot. And I, yeah, I'm not. You just never know. You never know why or why not those things are going to happen. You know? Yeah, way, like I, I, I bet know. you anything that he's kicking is like, man, I should have stayed War or War Machine. You know, I bet you he's thinking that. I don't know. Right. Stuff like that. that. That that makes me think of about like that guy specifically. Now, he you said you did. Uh, you you said you did some voice acting in the past. Could you tell us some of the uh, about that? Well, most of the vocal work that I've done has been primarily for my own projects. I did a few small things for other people's projects. None of them professional or anything like that. But um, you know, I certainly have a range with it, uh, and most of it has to do with just you know doing general vocals for different kind of character types or whatnot. Um, for example, most of where I kind of uh, 
put my vocals out there, I guess is the best way of saying it, is when I did my first live Star Wars performances in 2005 and 6, um, is when I, I just, I don't know what the hell's wrong with me, I'm crazy artist, I uh, decided, hey, you know, I've never seen a live lightsaber performance, I wonder what it would take to put that together. Um, and so I started working on all that, and then what I did is make a sound plot for the show so that we wouldn't have to do all of this stuff live and with mics, because I just thought that would be not only difficult, um, but, um, you know, while you're jumping around and doing all this athletics, trying to say lines in dramatic form won't always work. Like, you know, you're too tired, you're exhausted, you can't speak a line the way that it feels like in the movies, you know. It's, it's hard to explain, but I think you know what I'm trying to say, right? Like, while you're doing yeah. backflips and everything, if you have to then say a line, yeah, you're going to sound comes out while you're taking deep breaths, then it's not going to be... No, it's, 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 ca- it's, you know, it's called not skipping cardio at the gym. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, this I is in a world I mean. where people do skip cardio at the gym, Adam. So, uh, well, we have to we have stuff, to adapt. Skip cardio, but to that's not... the thing is in these performances, I was doing some acrobatics and stuff. Like I backflipped in one of them. Other ones, I did butterfly mm-hmm. twist. This kind of thing. These uh, uh, not Jackie Chan style things, but sort of. It, some of it's called tricking, um, where you're doing these moves like you know giant jumping kicks or flips and twists. But anyway, beyond that, the point was uh, some of the actors who I would cast, it's not like they were vocal actors. So I'd want proper vocals for them within the show, which wasn't their real voice. In fact, it was funny. In one iteration of the show that I did, the one that I did in 2007, which was Balance of Power 2, the first one we did in 2005 and 6, Balance of Power 1, then we did Balance of Power 2, um, These, uh, <laughs> this one guy voiced himself as an imperial uh or i mean i'm sorry this one guy um was in the show and as a stormtrooper but he voiced our other guy imperial officer and then i i can't even explain it this other guy who was the imperial officer voiced something else something really minor so it was just all over the map where it was <laughs> yeah, just pretty, it's, everyone it's, doing it's what so, they can and yeah, and then my, my main bad guy, who we, uh, the character name was Necrolysis, so he's this no, no, evil, no, no. he was, you know, supposed to be like a Darth Vader type, but he was this wonderful um, 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 a friend of mine, he's bald, uh, black guy, he was really awesome, very talented, very athletic, and, you know, we synced together really well, so I was like the light master, and he was the dark master, so we're fighting and everything, but his voice, like, I remember when I was talking to him, I'm like, so Anthony, what do you think, do you think you'd ever record your vocals, and he's like, oh god. You know my voice, Matthew. I don't sound evil. I don't. I, t- I sound too normal. I'm like, really? You don't think you could try? He's like, you wouldn't want to hear me try. I'm like, really? Oh, come on. And then one day we did, and I was like, okay, you're right. <laughs> you can't sound you're not evil. evil. <laughs> and he's like, I told you. You weren't listening to me. But um, it's a really good example of like when you, you know, um, when you, you see films and you see these actors in these films, you have to understand that like they have to cast these people in, in two ways. They have to say, does the voice sound like what we need for this character? And does their look work? And if you're lucky, then you can do something like an animated project, or in this case, voiceover, where it was a live performance where we had all the sound in the can. Yeah, you know, man, basically. I, I've seen so many that. scenarios where they did not match up both of those. And, like you know, what? Uh, I, like, I can't even, like, remember, like, But I know exactly what you're talking about. That reminds about. me of the fact that, um, you know, Darth Maul is in voice by... The actor. Exactly. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That that is one. Uh, speaking of, like you're talking about that and Star Wars, it's right and on that my freaking happened in Star because Wars. That's a great example. Ray Park is a fantastic martial artist. Shout out to Ray Park. I don't think he'd be necessarily listening, but if he ever <laughs> is, he's he's fantastic. 
Um, he was a wushu champion. Ray Parker totally blew listening to our podcast. That, that's that's believable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's probably yeah, listening well, he, right now. You, you know. <laughs> well, if you guys can get Michael J. White on here, I mean that's amazing. Oh yeah, I mean, no, yeah, I, we, we we're working on a uh, yeah, Ray Park. Actually. We have that notch on our bedpost. We're working on them. Yeah, no. <laughs> hey, you know, I gotta say, following up uh, Michael J. White, I mean, big shout out to that guy. That guy is the truth. I love watching his videos when he talks about martial arts, and I love when he talks about the execution of a punch. And I, my favorite was, uh, which I think I, I messaged just privately to Adam, but we might as well say it here on the show or whatever. But um, he had he is one of the greatest videos that really explains how to make a proper jab or punch in this sort of um it was sort of a video that was taken surreptitiously um, by someone clearly in the group of uh, when he's teaching kimbo slice rip to kimbo yeah yeah, but um it was so great because he says all the exact things that you're i mean most people are not going to think about it but if you're a martial artist like every moment i'm listening to him saying all that i'm like yep Exactly. Thank you very much. Exactly. And he's talking about also the difference between if you're a street fighter and you think you're tough and you're awesome and you're great, that's fine. Like, okay, you're big, you're tough, whatever. But he's like, then there's technique. Technique. And I can tell you with some serious, uh, vehement passion that technique always will trump um, raw, just power or talent or whatever yes. it's why they call it the sweet science with boxing is that you know you throw the punch properly it's going to beat out any quote-unquote haymaker punch or the kind of punch that you just throw by being in the street naturally and it's the funniest thing is in this this great drill that he did he's like okay kimbo put out your hand and the funny thing is my background is as a fencer so um i used to teach uh, saber fencing for many years <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people might think, what does the hell does that have to do with boxing or martial arts? It's exactly the same what he said. He says, put up your hand, Kimbo. Now, I'm going to punch your hand. If I Just don't let me touch it. Just don't let me touch it. So he says, the first way is the slow. And then he throws the punch, and he kind of telegraphs it. You can't – regular audience is not going to tell, but it's true. Kimbo was able to move his hand away. And he's like, okay, I'll throw it a couple more times that same way. So he's all, that's the, the crappy way. <laughs> he's like, basically, I'm telegraphing a lot. But – now I'm going to throw it again. You're not going to tell the difference, but anyways, don't let me touch it. And sure enough, he's just like, pow. And he's like, whoa, what the hell? Kimbo, you could see his eyes. He was like, what the hell is this magic? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and the irony is there was nothing magical about what Michael J. White was doing at that particular moment. I mean, he's a talented guy. He's a strong guy. He's a tough guy. He's flexible. But what he did there was something that you can learn, Adam, that you can learn. Uh, I'm sorry, Keenan? Yes. Yeah. Hey, someone remember my name. A hundred percent. Well, you got to listen, um, right? Yeah, so a hundred percent, you guys could all do this technique. I mean, now, whether or not people can become a good boxer or a fencer is another matter. But the point is, teaching people the proper technique, if you do it, that's it. It's just the technique. There's no magic in that moment of the thing when you do it right. So it was just so funny. And then he, uh, he was like, I'm going to throw it again, Kimbo, and just don't let me touch your hand. And he threw it actually even medium speed the speed did not matter it was the fact that his execution was proper that kimbo couldn't see it coming and that's exactly what is going on with a proper punch it's simple if put it this way if i throw a ball at you adam and you see it coming are you going to catch it uh maybe yes most likely i throw this ball i say yo adam i'm throwing you the baseball you're like yo matthew throw it you see it coming it's coming to you you got time you're thinking boom you catch it but if you had your eyes closed, how would you be able to catch the ball? The force. 
Yeah, <laughs> you pray, you hope for luck, but you're not going to catch it. So that's yeah. what they yeah, also talk about. Yeah, I'm not force sensitive, so that wouldn't work. I'm just saying that's what I try. You do not see coming, and that's what a fencer does. Is basically, if I hit you, it's probably a moment that you were just not ready for it because you couldn't see it coming, and that's why you get hit. If you could see it coming, you'd stop it. <laughs> that's kind of the thing, right? Like if I was going to punch you in the face, you know, here's the thing: you don't want to get punched in the face. <laughs> exactly. So well, right, and then people have to think about well, it. So, Why do I get punched in the face? You, you don't have a say so in whether or not you get punched in the face. You punching you in the face. You know. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's he was you know Michael Jai was really cool. He has a he actually has a bunch of uh, videos right now. He's he's been uploading a lot of videos on YouTube. I think he, yeah, it's like, it's like a week it's like a weekly thing where he shows a new technique off. And, I'm telling uh, you, I, I mean, I know you guys just had him on the show, and you might be like, how does this guy know him from anybody else? And I'm like, I watch his channel. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's awesome. Like, I love that stuff. He, he did. He reiterated, too, about the, the proper punch again. And I was like, this is some great stuff. I love that. I love that stuff. You yeah. Know? Um, so, yeah, man. Um, uh, Matthew Novastar. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Novastar. Caraduda. Cardo. Car well, it's, it's it's really hard to say. It's Corrado, but Corrado. Yeah, I was totally, yeah I was don't worry. Say that. That's a, it's a tough name to say. It's Italian. It's not that common. Chances are, if anybody else has the same spelling, <laughs> it's they're probably related to me. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a, it's a tough one to say. Being Italian. So what's the um? Now your show is called uh, Nova Star. Uh, I don't have I don't have any particular show. Um, for me, oh. it's just um, like I don't know. I'm kind of a weird bird, but um, I, for the last twelve years, I did uh, a bunch of all live lightsaber style performances, and I was kind of heavily involved in the Star Wars community in it to, to a certain extent, mostly the saber community. And um, I'm kind of known for doing a lot of sound work. All the sound work that goes into most of the lightsaber props out there in the world. Um, maybe not all of them, but quite a bit of them, I'm kind of responsible for a good amount of that. Um, although now sure, there's many yeah. uh, what we call sound font artists, and what that really is, to try to explain it to you as quickly as I can, is so obviously a lightsaber prop, um, I mean, you know, back in the 70s, it, just, it was just sticks. It was nothing. <laughs> you know, even for the films, they just say, put a stick in their hand, we'll put the graphics later. Yeah, as yeah. you guys probably know, in today's world, now that the technology has really caught up with LEDs and batteries and everything's smaller and circuit boards, um, you can fit all that basically in a handle that's metal and store all the electronics in there and it can power a fairly bright lightsaber prop. Well, obviously, in addition to the light, <clears throat> you need uh, sound. So you have ignition sound. You have uh, sound of the saber going off. You have the idle sound of it, just hum, you know, almost like a car, you know, once it's idling, you know, obviously. Yeah. And then you have swing noises and collision noises, obviously, when they collide together. And even other fancy stuff like a lockup, like when it's uh, sizzling against another saber. There's all sorts of crazy bananas, you know, sounds. It's, it's fun. That's the point. Sound effects. You yeah. know, uh, back in, it, it even, it kind of harkens to the old Kung Fu movies that, you know, if they just said action and they do the fight scene they're moving their arms around and people are punching but that doesn't have any real sound in the real world most of the time you don't hear nothing but of course right kung fu movies you'd hear ah oh, you dishonor my family now we'll fight <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah 
And they're really just like banging trash cans together and shit. Yeah, (laughs) and that's the thing is it heightens the drama. So obviously when George Lucas decided, okay, we're going to do these laser swords, he's like, all right, now these got to have some pretty awesome sounds. They hired Ben Burt, and the rest is history. So he did all the sound work for that. But when the props came out and we started building these lightsaber props and the ability to put custom sounds in there occurred, I sort of appeared in the uh, mix on that, and I started... Uh, designing my own sounds for them. So, for example, uh, I've made about a hundred plus packages of these sound sets. So, for example, you might say, I want it to sound like Obi-Wan in Episode 4. So I'm like, fine, sounds like that. Or, how about a fire sword? I'm like, fine, fire sword, ice sword, um, electricity, uh, He-Man style, make a sword sounds like that, you know? Um, what other things? It could be like a regular steel sword. So you, you just hear, you know, so I've uh, designed these sets of sounds uh, for the last ten or so years, and uh, so there you go. I mean, that was the quickest I could explain it, <laughs> but it's sort of like a, a it's a strange rabbit hole to go down. But like you know, I bas- basically designed the sounds that go in live lightsaber props for the last you know ten, so how ten many- years or so. Now, obviously, you do. You've been doing these uh, lightsaber f- performances for quite some time. Are there other lightsaber performances out there? Absolutely, exactly. I, w- I was I was never really the first one with all those things. Although I would, it's arguable that I might have been one of the first ones to put together a fairly competent and uh, complete performance that was not just you know, kids walking lo- around and shit. Well, yeah, I mean, that was the thing, like, so the first performance I ever put together uh, was ten people on stage, so we had five pairs of fighters, uh, and it was, it also had a storyline, I crafted it so it was, it was quick, it was only a five minute show, uh, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but five minutes of fighting is still, it's still not something to scoff at, but the point being is, it, it, it had sort of a structure, you know, there's like, you see the young Padawan, and, and a, a young Jedi girl, and they discover something, something's wrong, then the evil guy comes in, and he's taunting the Padawan, and takes his saber away, uh, then the master has to come in and save him briefly, and then more bad guys come, and more good guys come, and then they're like, alright, that's it, it's on, and then, you know, it's sort of like building this crescendo, then they all start fighting, of course, and then uh, all the good guys kill most of the bad guys, and it's only the dark master left, and then he kills the girl, uh, mm-hmm. and then this he runs off, and the story sort of ends there, and then, you know, they're like mourning her loss. So I, I basically just kind of told you this five-minute plot, but the point is, it was one of the first times that I recall, at least on stage, that there was an actual story going on. There was dialogue. There was uh, yeah, sound. Yeah, I'm enthralled music. now, man. The point is, is like we need a sequel to that. We need. To, I want to know what happens. <laughs> well, you can because it does happen. Balance of Power Two is also out there, and again, oh, these are okay. sort of rickety uh, performances in terms of nowadays. Like everything's a lot more polished than HD footage. But this is. I did all this stuff in 2005 and six for the first one and then 2006 and seven for the second one and i always had planned to balance the power three but it just never happened because doing it live was uh, going to be too difficult and it was difficult to get uh casts for these kinds of things because it, it did it demanded quite a bit from performers they had to be very very um willing to go the distance for this stuff it's it's not easy like some of the things that i put together however as years progressed um i sort of 
dropped doing any of the balance of power things. Those are just my own ideas and shows. But what I did is I also created in, I want to say it was 2014, the first ever live Empire Strikes Back recreation of, of the fight and oh, scene cool. between Vader. So it starts basically where Luke uh, flies off in the X-Wing, and that's really just voiceovers with him and Yoda, and Yoda saying, you know, you can't go, you know, if you, um, if you value what your friends, uh, you know. Uh, oh, that's right, I also do the Yoda one, you know. Yoda, you see Yoda. So, um, <laughs> um, so we, we did all this stuff, and then we, of course, approached the whole where Luke approaches Vader at, on Bespin, we go through that whole scene, do the fight, and then at the end when he's uh, uh, telling him, uh, you know, Luke, you do not yet realize your importance, you know. Um, so we did the that whole thing, and it was, just, it was a strange brainchild of mine that I was just like talking with a friend, basically saying, who, who he, this guy Gary Ripper, who, who makes these wonderful lightsaber props. Shout out to Gary Ripper. You guys, guys got to go look up uh, ripperblades.com. Yeah. Uh, or at least I hope that's the website, Ripper Blades. Uh, <laughs> but um, Gary was my Vader for that project, and basically we were just, you know, we were just friends, and we were, you know, doing some stuff. He wanted me to teach him some saber combat moves because that's obviously something else that I would do. Would teach them martial arts and fencing and saber combat stuff. And um, he said, "What if we, you know, what do you think if we, we ever did a Vader and Luke thing?" I'm like, "Well, maybe." And then we sort of went down that rabbit hole, and I said, "Hey, I wonder what it would be like to recreate the whole damn thing live." Uh, so we did. <laughs> and it was, let me tell you, it was simultaneously very exciting, but also a bloody nightmare. <laughs> it was so much work, you know. Uh, I feel like anything that's really good would be like that, though. Like, It's true. Know, yeah, it just, uh, that happens. Yeah. With and I actually want to go lot. back to the, uh, I want to go back to the complexity <clears throat> of this whole thing. Like, how how hard and how long does it take to get all your uh, ducks aligned and for uh, you to pull off one of these performances? Oh, wow. That's a really good question, and it's also a very complicated one. Um, so the best way to explain it is you have to kind of break it all down into sections for one thing. And we're not just talking about the fight scene. We're just talking about the goal at hand. So, for example, with the Empire Strikes Back scene, some of the first things that I had to start thinking about right from the get-go, even though they weren't going to get solved right away, is I was like, all right, so how are we going to gas Vader in the face? Because at one portion of the thing, Luke gets disarmed which yeah. wouldn't be that hard, uh, so we knew that we could do that. But then, you know, uh, Luke climbs up on this kind of pipe or whatever, which I knew we weren't going to be able to do on stage. No one was going to let me climb into the rafters or something crazy. But we would, just, <laughs> we would just do something different. But the point is that the way that he gets his saber back is Vader's about to attack him. He holds up this, this hose that Vader's cut in trying to go after him. I mean, if you're familiar with Empire Strikes Back, you'd know what I mean. Yeah. And then he holds that hose up, and it gasses Vader in the face with, uh, I don't know, arguably smoke or something. And that distracts him long enough so Luke can hold out his hand, call his saber back, and power it on, and then join the fight again. And, you know, that's when he's like, we won, this taught you well. You know, so you're like, ooh, groovy. So we had to think, are we going to do this as a live effect? You know, because... You know, how are we going to do this? There, and then that makes you go down a rabbit hole. So some people were like, well, we could use some kind of fire extinguisher style thing. And I'm like, no, that's not going to work. If we do that, Gary has fans inside his mask and it will suction all that right into his lungs. So that's an absolute no-go. It's way too dangerous. No way. 
And then some people are like, well, what if we did like a powder kind of thing so you get to see this poof of stuff? I'm all, again, no good. It'll go, first of all, even if he didn't breathe it in by holding his breath, let's say, just randomly, and not that you would do that, it would, he'd have cocaine all over his face. <laughs> look like cocaine Vader, you know, you don't want that. <laughs> see, I feel like that, that's really wise thinking. Because, like, we'd freaking do that. If we, if we came across that same problem and someone mentioned, you know, a fire extinguisher, we'd be like, well, problem solved, bro. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. You just got to think it through. Plus, those things tend to be heavy. We would have um, found so... that out via trial and error. Like, he, like would have went and, mm -hmm. like, let's say I'm that guy, would have went into my mask. Like, oh, no, no, can't do that. Move on, move on. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, and there's just so many logistics to it. Like, I mean, half the time on stage, not to be, like, I mean, there's so many details I could tell you. You have to understand that with Gary in that costume, the, vi the vision that he has is extremely limited extremely limited even under the best conditions you know there's no two ways about it if you are wearing a darth vader mask and believe me i know i have suited up as vader myself uh, and converted myself into a taller dude it's that's another story um because I, I also recreated live the obi-wan and vader fight in which case i was vader not luke anyway and not obi-wan but anyway um you know i needed to make sure gary was safe at all times which is ironic because as luke i wanted to fight him and give to the audience that feeling that I was trying to uh, harm him and, and defeat him, obviously. But at the same time, during the performance, what people don't understand is I was taking care of him <laughs> throughout the performance, making sure I was absolutely in the correct positions and that he was too. I could never back him into a wall, never wanted him to trip over any. You know, it's 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 so weird, you know, when you're talking about live performance, there's so many well, different that, things. That too. is anticlimactic, Matthew. You know, like, <laughs> I'm so we sorry. know there's nothing really like, at stake here. You know? <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. Uh, oh, and then now, again, you were like, well, what about these other things? And what did you have to, you know, what's the process and how long? So another thing we had to think about, obviously, was I'm like, okay, how are we going to cut off my hand? You know, and some people are like, oh, just, you know, tuck up your sleeve and pretend. I'm like, I don't want to do that. That's cheesy. Yeah, everyone knows the actual length of an arm, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so I totally did it for, I mean, quote-unquote real. I won't, obviously, my real hand was not cut off, but I made sure that at the end of the show, literally, you see a hand get chopped off, it's still attached to the saber, and lands on the stage, still attached to the saber, when he cuts off my hand. And a lot of people were like, oh my god, what the hell? Like, they were surprised. Because they didn't know how he did it. And I don't probably don't need to tell anybody yeah no like you, you gotta keep your own your your uh, movie magic secrets you know i'm just saying we've done a hand chop off scene before yeah, we've done more than that man like we did a head chop off scene we've we've done uh body chop off what? scenes with the camera and having the the luxury of like movie magic and camera angle uh tricks oh, yeah. and all yeah, that and we still fucked it up we're talking about doing it live <laughs> Yeah, you did that shit live, and like we, I'm, I'm saying we did that shit with the camera and all those luxuries, and it was sure. like crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's too bad because you know with the right film angles, you can you can pull it off and stuff. But anyway, so we got a styrofoam head. To figure out. <laughs> then there's the staging, right? There's the staging. So I'm like, okay, Gary, how are we gonna do this? So what we would do is I'd measure out in rehearsal spaces because we we couldn't rehearse in the performance spaces. Okay. 14 feet by this, 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 this is approximating this, this is this, this, this. Okay, we go this way, then when I'm fighting you, we're turning around, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you're going to go over here, you exit here, when you disappear, I go over here. Like, there's so much <laughs> staging, and you've got to be perfect. You can't 
miss a beat because I'd be like, you know, too far to the left and you're in the audience, too far to the right and we're out of position. Um, if we go at this angle, the audience is going to miss most of these fight moves, you know, so you have to be fairly specific about it. And unfortunately, it takes a long time. I, I would say, you know, kind of to, I know I'm getting circuitously to the answer of your question, but <laughs> it takes about six to eight months, I would say, to pull off a pretty good live saber kind of performance that has any um, length to it. I mean, if it's only two minutes long, which I never really did anything that short, it's just too, that's too easy. You could do that in no big deal. But like when it was a production, when you're like, hey, like um, my girlfriend here, this is Alexandra. You want to say hi? Hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going? There we go. I'll let the, because I have my headphones on. There we go. Hi there. <laughs> hey, do you, are, do you uh, fight in these saber battles? Uh, yeah, I, I did do one. She was my Ray for a Kylo uh, Ren versus Ray fight. And oh, that, that's cool. Yeah, and she was awesome. She was super Thank awesome. You. Basically, um, she didn't have any staged combat experience. And then uh, when she and I were meeting and uh, 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 starting to work on this kind of thing, I was just like, okay, well, I'll train you and we'll have a good time with it and we'll learn together. And um, so. Basically, I trained her. She's awesome. She's amazing. Like, I've never seen anybody memorize this quickly. Um, and she was pretty damn wonderful as Ray. She's also super gorgeous. So, you know. Job, uh, I'm biased. <laughs> I'm what, biased, right? What specific uh, Kylo Ren versus Ray fight was it? Was it from, uh, seven at the end? Oh, right. So, the one that we did was uh, the, the first one where they fight because... Yeah, there's multiple ones now. There wasn't yeah, when we first... <laughs> Formed it, the uh, Star Wars Eight had not yet come out yet, so there was there was Just no way. The one. It's on yeah. it's it's on YouTube, so you guys can find it on my channel. Um, and we performed that one um, in several places, but specifically. Cool. I know we should. One, she's saying we should do the one from eight, and I'm like, that's right. But the one from seven, um, uh, we did at Wizard World Con in Sacramento. I'm listening. Xandra's <laughs> okay. Xandra's heading out by the way, so bye. Nice talking to you. Bye. See you later. Now that was the world con. <laughs> yeah, so she was taking off. She's got to go do some. She's doing some stuff with her friends. That's cool. Yeah, but yeah, so that's another one, and that that pretty much encapsulates all the different live saber fights that I did. Basically, we did Empire Strikes Back. We did the A and H fight. You know, the Obi Wan versus Vader. Um, uh, Kylo versus Ray, uh, and then I did my other ones again more in 2005, six and seven, Balance of Power, which are just my own ones, you know. And then all the other ones are all like smaller performances in different places, and just you know, not as not as super not as super exciting. You know? Sometimes do they even not even have a plot? It's just some people fighting. Correct. In fact, those are the ones that I prefer. I, I, I didn't like doing those as much because to me they're not as memorable and they're not as exciting and they don't um, they don't carry you know well over time for yeah, obvious yeah. reasons. We, we saw two people fight before with lightsabers. Why? Well, they didn't explain. <laughs> Precisely. And it's funny you mention that because that's one of the things that I tried to, at least for my work, is I wanted to stand out in a different way where I was like, and, and this may come from my theatrical uh, background, is I'm like, People fight for a reason. People have drama and scenes and structure to these things for good reason. That's why, like, even when you see Jackie Chan, even Jackie Chan knows it's not just about fighting. 
Um, one of the best things that people could ever learn about Jackie Chan is he is brilliant with how to set up a scene and how to do action comedy. There's a great video on a channel that is now uh, not producing any more content, but is still a wonderful channel called Every Frame a Painting. Big shout out to Every Frame a Painting. And they have a wonderful analysis, which is also exciting to watch, of Jackie Chan. And it's literally called How to Do Action Comedy. And it's definitely one of the best analysis analyses um, of <laughs> Jackie Chan's brilliance and work uh, that uh, I've ever seen. And it really does help people, I think, understand the difference between, oh, I just want exciting fights. And I just want exciting fights, <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, no, 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 you don't understand. If you want it to look like Jackie Chan, you're going to have to delve deeper into things than just saying, I punch really fast, I kick really well, I do some spins and so, so yeah, forth. Something it's has not to be at stake. exciting just to watch action. Yeah. Action for action's sake is not exciting. Even though some people will think that, they're wrong. Action is exciting when you have something to believe in, when you are connected with one or more of the characters then you start to really feel it and you understand that there's a drama. Usually what Jackie do, would do to is um, his most important thing. Think about it. Jackie's biggest thing was he was always in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was always yeah. He really was. Yeah. He was the Fred Flintstone of martial arts. You know? <laughs> yep. He was always in a bind. And like, in fact, even in every frame of painting, it's so funny the, he, the way that he explains it. He's like, if if um, if his opponent is standing, Jackie's on the laying on the ground. If his opponent has a gun, then Jackie is unarmed. If you know uh, if the opponent is standing, then Jackie has a bomb in his mouth. You know what I'm like? <laughs> so true. Like he's always screwed. Something is makes him screwed. And notice all the time, Jackie's like, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight. I have, no no stop. No no stop. I I don't fight you. You know he's always like, I don't want to do that. He's not like the Jet Lee and the Bruce Lee where it was always tough guy, I'm gonna kill yeah, you. Jackie said, I don't wanna do that. I'm gonna do a different style of character. I'm gonna Michael J. White, you. you know. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't um, devalue what Bruce Lee gently did but it shows that jackie chan had his own style which was fantastic which is way better to connect with which is we all do that we connect with underdogs that's why everybody likes luke skywalker because he starts off as a farm boy and he's got nothing and life sucks for him and we feel it we see it and we resonate because we're like yeah my life sucks too i have a dead-end job like, and I then you see him go uh, um bring himself up and become a hero and have this team of people around him. Well, this is the same thing with Jackie Chan. He always sets himself up in the beginning as he doesn't know what's going on. Something is wrong. He's weaker. He's There's no information. People are lying to him. He's in trouble. And then somehow he digs his, his, his ass out of it. It's I mean, I agree, I agree with you there. Like, you, you got to have a uh, climax. You know, or there's got to be conflict. Uh, something's got to be at stake. But I don't like it whenever the character's like, oh, like I'm so reluctant to fight. I just don't want to hurt anybody. We get it. You're a good person. Get get to annihilating people. Oh get to the violence. Like, yeah, dude, I'm different. Like, yeah. to each his own. And, like, I'm jaded. I'm like, man, like, just man up and, and go to work. Okay, so Keenan is the one person that does not like Jackie Chan, and I've hated him for oh, that's it. That's fine. I've hated well, everybody has taste. No well, it's because of the 99.9% of the time, there's that ridiculous goofball comedy that comes with this fighting, and I just want to see people get fucked up. Oh, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, let's see here, then. Let me think. What's the st You probably like Jason Statham, right? 
I do, but at the same time, I, I think that Jason Statham will not say no to any movie. <laughs> he was in in the name of the king, for God's sakes, you know. He did a Huey Paul movie. <laughs> yes, that is a good point. That he, why would you agree to be in a Huey Paul movie when, when that's you almost have a, like I don't say no Mark. philosophy to your work. Oh, that's when Mark. Yeah. Right. Oh, hi, doggy. Right. Yeah. How did they make that movie, too? I can't believe they made The Disaster Artist. That's so funny, too. I know that wasn't Huey Bull, but what I'm saying is, like, another director. Oh, but right. Huey Bull. Oh, no, y'all see he's coming out with a... Uh, what, Huey Bull's sh- still no, doing? No, uh, oh, you scared me. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> what's his oh, name? I was like, I thought we were rid of him. What's what's uh, his real name? Who? Oh, oh I know. Mark. I forget. Well, no, the other... Because there's Huey Bull, and then there's this other guy. What, what is that guy? The, the Disaster Artist was... Um, Oh, see, now I'm blanking. I don't know, but he... Well, there's like another bad director that followed up. The guy that made the original movie. What original The Room. It's called The Room. Oh, Tommy Wiseau is his name. Tommy Wiseau. He's making a a big shark movie. You see that? (laughs) He's making a big shark. The big shark. My girlfriend showed me because she she loves making fun of... Is this like some Sharknado shit? No, it's like they're just standing. they're They're like standing on a road, and the road just starts flooding, and then a big shark just starts eating people. Does the shark look like PS1 <laughs> graphics and shit? I, I can't remember. I Sounds brilliant, out. right? You're like, oh, Lord. Oh, my goodness. But I see, unlike a lot of people, I'm totally... Like, people want to see the character... Uh, like getting to like a, a a bind that he's got to get out of you know there's got to be a conflict the character can't just go through the movie mowing people down without no problem and i'm the kind of guy that's like i beg to differ john wick's a great movie you know <laughs> well yeah no that, it's funny you mention that because that, that is it's two different styles like think about it back in the day that's what a uh, predator in a way was, was the bad guy of, it, it had down, two like sides that. where predator he did have to dig himself out of it um, but there was also, of course, Commando, and Commando was just literally, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger waving Fucking a gun around, people. he's killing yeah. everybody. See, I love That's, that shit. Just, those just are the two different, juggernaut yeah, those are shit, two different you know? styles. Yeah, those are two different styles. But think about it. Even Die Hard is more like Predator, where they're underdogs. Even Arnold Schwarzenegger was the underdog in Predator because, you know, he's he's stuck in this bind. This alien creature is way more powerful than him, and he's getting his ass handed to him from it, um, even though they're tough guys. Um, it's a beautiful movie too. Oh Predator yeah, yeah. And, and you you can't you know you can't even uh, you know some people would say well that's right on oh, Predator and Die Hard I wonder whether it's so similar uh, uh, similar I'm like that's because they were directed by the same damn guy. Yeah, and he had his formula down. Fantastic director. Yeah, he's a fantastic director and he's fantastic at taking an action hero and making sure to beat him down and put him in these situations where it just sucks life. Like you know who can ever forget Bruce Willis having to step over all that glass. Oh man, I know, and like at that time, you know that that was a, you know every viewer put themselves in that position, like oh my god, and they cringed, you know. Yes. And that that was a that was brutal back then. That was back then. That was like oh my god, this shit's crazy. Huge shout out to Alan Rickman too. Like God, we. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Shoot the glass. I mean, he was fantastic in that role. I heard too that the first scene that he had to film. Uh, because you know he has this very thick accent. Like I can't do his voice at all. I, I can't do it. No one but, but Alan um, Rickman can. We'll never know, hear that voice right? again. Although you know, it's funny. My girlfriend Zandra, she does a, a excellent Alan Rickman. I'm not <laughs> kidding. If if Alan Rickman were female, she's she knows how to do it. But anyway, he uh, um, the first scene that he had to shoot was the one where uh, Bruce Willis's character McLean finds him on the roof, and he's like, oh. 
please don't kill me. I, I just was afraid the terrorists would come. And he's and he said he was petrified because, you know, he had had all this classical training. And, of course, he had this very, I don't know what his accent is, to be honest. I don't even know. You know British, English. Yeah, I don't know British, English. He, yeah, he's got to be. Yeah, because uh, in the original Harry Potter's, JK wouldn't let anyone in the movie who wasn't British or English. Like, you from the oh, UK. that's it. So he's got to be from the UK. Somewhere is within the UK. Oh, I'm sure, and I don't remember exactly. But either way, he was just saying how he's like he's it, it was else. so no. <laughs> it was so petrifying that he's like the first scene out of the gate because you know they had hired me for this character, and of course I was going to be able to use my voice and be very you know uh, you know astute and a villain and and have this diction and and education. But he's like the first scene out of the gate. I had to do this American accent, and I was just so worried. Is what he had said but obviously he nailed it and he was fantastic and uh, <laughs> it's such a great thing and that, that's the thing that's another thing that's wonderful about actors is when they can really you know connect to the audience and, and find those ways to draw you in so that you remember it 20 years later 30 years later 40 years later you're still talking about it that's when you know that movie that actor that scene there was a good scene you don't remember you know certain movies you go like oh it was a good action movie ah, I don't remember anything about it 20 years later you don't know anything about it but you go oh who doesn't remember Raiders of the Lost Ark who doesn't remember Predator you know and so on it's because you know everything comes together the writing the acting the directing and just you know all these epic moments That's, yeah I mean I totally agree uh, actually I want to I want to go back to you uh, to you for a little bit um, how'd you come mm -hmm. up with this uh, gray tail Nova Star character <laughs> that is funny that you mentioned that. So, uh, not that many people have asked me about that, but they, some of the people over the years, I tell them the same story. So, Grey Tail was basically what I came up with when I was a super young kid. I don't know why, but I kind of just invented that as it's to just be a like, nice cool. You're a character of your own of in this within Star Wars universe, right? Something like that. I don't know if I would call it that. I mean not officially in any manner that would be an honor but uh i so the name gray tail just at least that name that was something i made up as a child when i was literally maybe seven and i also always entered it in all my video games because you could only do eight characters back then and i always thought well i don't want to be matthew and i don't want to be bob or you know i i should i should have a cool name right i don't know why you know you're you're a kid you don't know what you're no, thinking like i, I know and exactly so, what you mean like everyone had their one handle that they used in yeah. every single game that allowed you my Mine was Blaine. It was always just straight up Blaine. There you go. I think and that's I mean, a cool I, name. I, I remember a lot of people would change them or whatever, but I just, I don't know. Was, I'm weird that way. I stuck with it throughout the years. Then, the reason I decided, okay, that's not good enough. I can't say Grey Tail for a Star Wars character when I was doing these uh, Balance of Power uh, productions and I was inventing all these names for all these characters and whatnot. I was like, I got to come up with something that's more like, you know, Skywalker and all this stuff without making it straight up that. So, this is going to take you guys back, maybe depending on what you know or don't know. But I know. So when I was came. a child in the '80s, there was Are a very famous me? cartoon going on called Star Blazers. Star Blazers was also known in Japan as Yamato, and it uh, actually was sort of about a real ship, the Yamato, which was sunk by the U.S. Uh, in uh, I want to say it was World War II. I'm pretty certain. But anyway. What this show was is it kind of elevated this ship, the Yamato, into space, and then these space adventures go on this quest to save Earth, which is being attacked in some way. And, and it was one of the first anime uh, shows that had a, I want to call it a serial 
kind of style. In other words, it was episodal where you literally had to watch all of the episodes to truly understand. So it was not like Inspector Gadget or your regular cartoons where you know it would just be one, one and done. Yeah, yeah, this one you had to watch the whole thing. But anyway, in this cartoon there were these two characters. There was Wildstar and a character, a sort of a nurse character named Nova. So I just decided to combine the two, and that's where I came up with Nova Star with it. And uh, that's all there is to it. <laughs> it was just that's, something that's from really my childhood awesome. that I It does. It sounds yeah. very Star Wars. It does. Yeah. And that was, again, that's another reason why I chose it, because I was did, like, well... Did you use that name? Did you play Knights of the Old Republic and or uh, the Old Republic? I, I have played one of those games. I played probably the older one. Um, I was never much into the turn-based kind of ones. Like I liked games more like Jedi Outcast and Academy, Dark Forces, all that stuff. The yeah, old school that, ones. Those are good games. I'm, I'm pretty old school now. Like I literally haven't played a lot of video games of the. I, I'm just a fan of open world. Like if you don't have open world, you kind of lose me immediately. Yeah, that's me though. That's me as a gamer. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Like I was a big fan of Skyrim. Um, you know that I played that game forever in 2011 and 12 it was it was hilarious but anyway yeah like um i didn't you know i haven't played a whole lot of star wars games but yeah i just chose nova star because you know it did it, it sounds star warsy it worked and then also what happened is once i chose that name and that was the master's name in the, my first production literally people from the community just started calling me that so i was like okay oh, i cool. guess this stuck and Man. so literally I, I would be in my videos that's sometimes like, i would uh, Start my video and I'd be like, "Hey guys, Nova Star here." Anyways, let me show you a little bit about this lightsaber and this and that. and it just stuck. Like people literally just called me Nova, you know, from there. <laughs> That's like there's so many people out there who like they want so bad to choose their own nickname, and they're like, "I'm gonna have people call me fucking Spike because it sounds cool." <laughs> and like, dude, and he tells all his friends, "All right, y'all gotta call me Spike now," and they're like, "No, dude, that that's fucking retarded. We're not calling <laughs> you Spike." Yeah. All right, but it's like. That worked for you. <laughs> well, I guess it was a partial thing where it's like, you know how they always say a nickname isn't, uh, you don't just invent it, it gets earned or, or whatever, or given. Yeah. And yeah, in a way, yeah. it was sort of a hybrid because I, I made it for the character. Exactly. You didn't just go to your friends and be like, y'all got to call me Nobistar now. You also no, I, did I, these I live, really star, like it, live <laughs> you know, the lightsaber battles. And it, it, yeah. it was appropriate to call you Nobistar. Yeah, to a point. I mean, it, it was funny. It was a little disconcerting at, at the beginning, but I sort of just went, whatever, that's fine. If people <laughs> want to call me Novastar, it's easier. And besides, it's more memorable than, you know, if they say Matthew, it's too common a name, and nobody could pronounce or spell my last name. So I was like, you know, this is it's, probably it's, just fine. It's Karate, isn't it? Um, yeah, so yeah. it was just it was just sort of one of those sure things. I, I went down these rabbit holes. Like, you know, I didn't know all the things that were going to happen to me in these last 10 to 12 years. I had really no idea. I didn't, I didn't know that I was going to be making sound profiles and sound sets for lightsabers. You know, again, ignition sounds and lock up and swings. And I didn't know. I had, that wasn't what I had set out to do. Uh, I had no idea that I'd eventually sort of cobble together and build uh, my own Darth Vader costume and then suit myself up as Darth Vader. No shit, like, like this this costume, like, the costume of Darth Vader that we're seeing in your videos is, like, you made that? Well, to a point. It, it started off as what's called a Ruby's Supreme Edition of the costume, which categorically, the, the, the people who love the 501st uh, costume uh, legions and those kinds of things, they don't like that costume because it's not screen accurate, which is true. However, um, myself and Gary... Uh, again, my my Vader for the Empire Strikes Back uh, show, Gary 
would modify his own helmets all the time. He's a very, very amazing artist, and he really does work well with his hands. He builds so many different things. He will just he just crafts things. He's a good craftsman. But anyway, he helped me modify that mask, so it was a lot more screen accurate, or at least more towards that. And uh, to a certain point, I didn't care about screen accuracy. I was trying to build a costume where I could convert uh, my ridiculous height, uh, at least for Vader, because I'm about five foot six. And that doesn't make a good Vader. No way. <laughs> but when I'm in the costume, I am ended up about six foot two or three. No joke. Oh, and yeah. um, it was a lot of work to make that work with the scale. Like also, in addition to getting taller, I make myself wider, or at least we give the illusion of it. So when I'm fighting in that costume and people see me in that costume, I, 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 I'm not even a shadow of what I normally look like. In fact, some of my most favored... Uh, experiences is when I literally would, <laughs> I'd arrive at an event, and they'd be like, oh, hey, Matthew, okay, go back in the back, change, and do this stuff, and I'd go and do the Vader thing, and I'd come out, of course, a different person, then I'd go back and change, come back out, and they'd be like, oh, Matthew, oh, you missed it, the Darth Vader is here, and I'm like, get the fuck out of here, really? And <laughs> it's the funniest thing because they would they would not know. And how would you? Would you expect that me, um, kind of an athletic five foot six Italian dude, you know, then I'll disappear and suddenly Vader's walking out? You don't you don't put it together because I look so different, look totally different. My voice, you know, I use the vocal change. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so, in addition to me using my voice and speaking lower, more like James Earl Jones as Vader, in addition to doing that, there is, I literally have electronics that deepen my voice more and give it that mechanical feel. So, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, man. That's crazy that you, uh, and, and you put, you put all that together, right? Well, like I said, um... It's sort of a, a hybrid. Like it started out as a sort of a not a store bought costume, but like you buy. I bought this costume used online from some guy, um, and uh, so then you get this costume, and I'm like, okay, I, I know I have a lot of work to do on it because I kind of already did the research ahead of time, and so like I have a whole list of things that I changed on. It. In fact, I'm trying to sell it right now uh, because I don't think I'll be using it anymore as I keep moving forward with my life and everything but the point is um so let's see the mask was modified the cape chain was completely changed out so like, um, i had i had the cape altered i had the tunic altered i wore these very special lift boots that really increased my height by boots. five or six inches i installed fans in the mask i installed the vocal changer i changed the lights on the boxes i, I give myself a new belt it's very, very extensive changes that were made to it, and all of which, of course, were to be conducive for live performance and at the same time to make me taller. And I had the benefit of uh, being able to install literally desktop speakers in my shoulders oh, or cool. well above shoulders because I'm trying to – it's hard to explain. I'm, I'm faking And, and you have to so. actually be able to fight in this thing. You can't – you know, it's – it's different when you're doing it on film, when you're doing it with a camera, and you can take takes, and you can cut, and you can edit, but you had to be able to fight live on stage whilst being taller. It couldn't have just I been will. stilts underneath your feet. I mean, you wouldn't have been able oh to... God. 
fight like that, right? It's it's funny you mentioned. So yeah, one of the biggest um, faux pas you could make if you were doing Vader is to wear platform shoes. That yeah, would be like, a bad. I was thinking like the some kiss is, shoes, you know. Well, the reason is because you can't feel the balls of your feet and kind of push off. I can't even really explain it. It's an athletic thing. But um, so what I was in, it was an extreme lift. So basically you could think of it that I was in extreme high heels, but uh, with a, a strong base. But the it's really hard to explain. But the point is I was still able to fight in them, but my feet had to be at this extreme angle all the time within the shoes. And it was, uh, I'm like, not going to lie. It's some tough looking ballerina one. shoes is what they are. Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah, to a point, it really was because all we were doing was cheating an extra five or six inches of height. Yeah. And in addition to that, I wore the the mask in a very, very specific and weird way. I was actually looking through Vader's grill, the diamond shaped grill, where yeah. his mouth would normally be. I was looking through there, and also that gave me the benefit of the lenses wouldn't fog up because I wasn't looking through the lenses. I was looking through this grill. Um, uh, so it's really complicated <laughs> to explain, but um, yeah, yeah. I pulled I pulled it off, and people can see some of those videos on my my channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash sabercombat. So if people wanted to look that up again, youtube.com uh, slash sabercombat, and there's just a myriad of uh, videos they would you know ha- uh, go and look at and traverse. They'll see stuff on sound fonts. They'll see live performances. They'll yeah, see yeah. when I was teaching some classes at Google. Um, that was amazing. Um, it was. It's been as a very interesting ten to twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, now, what uh, something that a lot of people probably uh, would probably wonder about this is, uh, I, I'm assuming that these are these are paid gigs. What exactly is the legality of putting on these performances? And like, is it is it does it fall under the same umbrella as maybe like the uh, Star Wars books that a lot of people published, or is it? Especially Disney, the Disney acquisition. You're saying, is uh, there any hashtag copyright? Well, <laughs> there's really nothing I can speak on about all that kind of stuff like that. The, the, oh, the paid, paid gigs are not something that I would normally do. It would be the kind of thing that I would only do it for, you know, demos and this kind of stuff like that, like benefits. So I wouldn't get paid most of the time. The only time I would ever get paid is when I was doing my own thing, like teaching a fencing classes, which again, I taught fencing for many decades um and um you know i i uh, was a competitive fencer for many many years i had my share of golds and silvers and bronzes nothing olympic or anything but um you know i used to compete so um, i created my own saber combat system which uh, i have some dvds that i also uh, uh, used to sell i don't i don't really do that as much anymore i mean i guess if people want them now they can order them if they like but um you know, I made those in the past to um, help people learn about saber combat. But that was kind of my own system and my own way of teaching, along with an associate who uh, 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 helped me do this as well. His name is Mark Prater, um, and I think he's still in the saber community doing his thing. He goes by Kane. <laughs> That's um, pretty cool. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Is like so. Um, so no, it's like most of the time. The only thing I'm getting paid for is like when I would teach saber combat classes within my own system and the whole point is i'm not using any licensed term like i wouldn't (laughs) want to do that i wouldn't want people to steal my work so i would only i would teach things that were my own business so i wouldn't say we're going to learn a luke skywalker move i'd be like (laughs) we're going to learn how to block leg and um you attack head here it's basically in a way like i 
I borrowed a lot of stuff to do from fencing and worked in stuff like from kendo. I used to study kendo for several years. And uh, the point was always to educate people and let them learn and, and have them have a fun time. Like they, a lot of times everybody's just having so much fun. Like I'd say, okay, you're going to make your own fight scene by the end of the class. It's going to be great. You guys are going to have a great time. We'll film it. You know, it doesn't, not perfect, but I'd be like, you get to say, hey, look, I, I did a lightsaber fight with, you know, my buddy Bob, you know, <laughs> back in 2012. And here, I'll show you friend X and friend Y. Friend so it was just... Well, it's true, right? Like, because, you know, it's like you can only get so far with that stuff. You're not going to expect someone to get 20 years of martial arts experience all in, I don't know, a month's time or two months' time or whatever. It's kind of like, you know, if you took a karate class. If you use a montage, that's that's what movies have taught me. You're going to need a montage. (laughs) You sure can. Yes. (laughs) Right. But you know what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, like, no, we would would do this kind of stuff. But it's true. Like, you know, I did. We we had these DVDs. I, I... you know, my sound fonts are available for purchase, and they still are to this day through uh, saberfonts.com, and that's how uh, hundreds of thousands of people, I would guess, buy their sound work that they install into their sabers. Um, so there's just, you know, it's it's weird. It's weird to see how far the rabbit hole has gone with all this kind of work, but most of it was always in the name of innovation and trying something new. Like, again, when I was, like, sitting there going, you know, sitting there thinking to myself, and I'm like, I wonder what it would be like to recreate the Empire Strikes Back fight live. And, you know, my friends are like, what are you, out of your damn mind? And I'm like, yeah, I probably are <laughs> like, hell, am, but that's what it would be like, Nedley. Hell. I'm yeah, sorry. Like, that, I wanted that to was try a, it. I, I figured no that's kind of that how reference. my mind works. Like, that's why I'm writing the screenplay that I was doing. I was like, I wonder what it would be like to write a really awesome hero's journey, but do it in a completely different style and a lot of fun and all this kind of stuff like this. Uh, and I'm like, I know enough about drama and writing and characters and... Uh, you know, setting, basically everything is just setups and payoffs is what they all are. But the point is, uh, I've been having a lot of fun with that, and I'm ho- I'm getting some voice actors involved in that. There's just, you know, there's a lot of things that I do as an artist, and uh, that's pretty much the rabbit hole I've been following. So not, not everything I've done is always revolved around Star Wars, although for the last 10 or 12 years, I think in the public Speaking eye, of, the community would be like, oh, that's what this guy's all about. He's all Star Wars, and that's well, it. And you said like, something about a, a Wizard 101 convention? Or oh, well, um, we it's called Wizard World Con. Yeah, pretty, see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty famous uh, convention, uh, what do you call it, circuit. Yeah, and uh, Wizard World is—I uh, don't know if I would say it's all over the world, but it's definitely a United States thing. But it just so happened we performed the Kylo Ren and R- versus Ray fight from again the Star Wars Seven version or something to that extent—a uh, uh, recreation of it, I should at least say—in uh, Sacramento, California. That was in 2017 or 18. I don't remember which. No? Uh-huh. and again that's on my channel somewhere so you guys would have to you know look it up and you could yeah. you could see it we did some cool stuff too like I, I wanted to try some live blaster effects there and and it worked like a charm it was awesome <laughs> it's hard oh, yeah. to explain <laughs> some pew pews pew yeah like she <laughs> fires the blaster at me and it it fires sparks and then i was able to do some effects too so it looks like i'm literally deflecting uh as i swing the uh you know the trident saber or whatever you call it the uh triple saber whatever you call it, kylo ren's cross guard saber um you know which i also i built that you know i built my own cross guard saber but anyway uh so yeah it looks like i'm deflecting these blaster bolts for you know, a few <laughs> minutes and then of course he freezes her arm and she's like what the hell you know it's we recreated that uh portion of things as well so 
Now you said that uh, obviously you're you're starting to move on. You said from the uh, from the performances, these live performances. Uh, right. Is is your next? Do you have multiple projects set up, or is you are you just focused on this uh, the animated film? Well, yeah, that's definitely a big part of the focus. But um, what happened is uh, my girlfriend Zandra, who again you got to meet just briefly there when she had to run out, and she's wonderful, super talented, very dedicated and doing stuff. She's making her own. Uh, she's working on a Stranger Things musical of all things, and it's it's fucking brilliant. It's so wonderful. I'm really proud of her. But um, we you can't moved see from it right the now. But I'm not in the head. Like, oh yeah, that's cool. a second. Oh, no, I said you can't see it right now, but I'm nodding my head. Like, that's really cool. <laughs> it's, 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 it's exciting. Like, you, you guys would be surprised. I was, I'm even surprised. I'm like, whoa, this is getting, this is really great. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, let's see. So we were in the San Jose, San Francisco Bay Area. And then she was like, I want to work at Disneyland. And she had worked previously at the Disney stores. She worked in New York before I moved her out to be with me because, you know, we were meeting and we fell in love. So I made, moved her out to the Bay Area. And uh, then she worked at the Disney store in San Francisco. So she worked at the New York store, the San Francisco store. And then she's like, I really want to try to get in there at Disneyland. I'm like, well, I'm not stopping. Let's do this. You know, I'm like, let's go for it. And she did. She finally landed a job there. And we were like super excited. So I'm like, let's get you out there. It's going to be great. So we moved out here towards Anaheim. So basically we are in uh, Disneyland area, basically. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was like, well, I have to leave behind all the Saber Combat stuff that I'd done because I had spent all my time building uh, local connections. That's pretty much what my business was all about there, you know, fencing classes and this thing and, you know, conventions, all these kinds of things. It was all local. And so I was like, well, I think what I'm going to do is revisit acting. I had not done acting since I had been out of college. And so I'm going to try to re-spark that. Uh, because it is something that means so much to me. I mean, it's true that in some ways people say, well, you never stopped acting if you did all these Star Wars things. And well, that's true, but I want to do a little bit more serious work now. You Someone know, as with an some actor. dialogue. Oh, wait, right. your shit had dialogue. Yeah, like if possible. You know, it is very hard. It's very, very difficult, and we'll see. It, it might not work out. But in addition to that, I had been working on, like I said, on the screenplay, and um, it's it's wonderful, too. It's about dragons, of all things. Um, and, uh, um, so, you know, it's this kind of thing. And I take it all very seriously because I want this stuff to matter. I don't want to just say, okay, I'm going to write a screenplay and people go, okay, come on, who are you? Well, I do know what I'm doing. Um, all these years of study, all these years of planning, there's a lot of things, you know, uh, that I've had brewing. And uh, so that's what's going on now. You know, she's literally working at Disneyland. She's doing her thing with the Stranger Things musical, which is, again, is freaking brilliant. I love it. It's very exciting. Um, she's getting, you know, uh, looking forward to trying to contact the Duffer Brothers and Netflix and see where the rabbit hole goes with that. I'm sitting here working on this, uh, this screenplay, which is, again, a hero's journey. You know, it's, it literally follows that kind of motif, but it's very, it's very much like, you know, again, Star Wars, The Matrix, Harry Potter, Lord Harry of the Rings. Man. It follows that kind of shape. Um, well, hey, man, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, everyone loves that formula. Like, these movies keep being successful for a reason. And people aren't yeah. oblivious. They understand that this movie that they're watching now has, like, the same construct and formula as the movies that they, you know, their, their, their parents grew up on. But they they, oh, yeah. they they all know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know they all know. Like I like this formula; it works, and people will continue mm -hmm. to see keep seeing those movies. 
Yeah, and it's important too because I mean th- th- that kind of formula too goes very far back, further than most people ever imagine. Oh, yeah, like some Homer and, you know, shit. And, uh, what's that? Or like some shit like Homer and other poets. They yeah. all knew that formula. See, now you're talking, man. That's that's what I mean. That's what Joseph Campbell taught about. And ironically, George Lucas was a student of Joe Campbell's. And Joe Campbell, of course, oh, yeah, yeah. the hero with a thousand faces and his whole um, kind of body of work revolved around this this hero's journey. And it goes as far back even as stories like Beowulf. Well, what's makes, so, what makes me mad, and, and this is me branching off on, on a... Uh, Barely tangible subject oh, to this fine. subject. That's, that's all we're doing. We're having fun here. It's good. I'm, I'm <laughs> okay, well, like, but what is it? Aragon came out. Uh, not the movie. Fuck the movie. We're not talking about the <laughs> goddamn movie. All right, but the books came out, and uh, yes. and people were critical of the books too. They're like, oh, look at this. The kid was 15 with his first book, so like, they're like, oh, look at this kid. He's literally ripping off verbata the the general and no, plot and nobody of wanted, Star no, Wars. And nobody wanted it, and the parents. They, they uh, were just rich uh, enough to publish it well, themselves. Well, that's bullshit because other people, like, dude, yeah, that's like if Star Wars never happened because he was ripping off the the same concept of that he learned from, that George Lucas learned from these old-ass poets from and shit. Joe Campbell and, and, right, exactly, Homer. Right, no, what you're saying is... It's like, fuck see, you, we is, know he's ripping off is, Star Wars and we enjoy it, you know? Right, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. In, in a way, here's the thing, this is the irony. Is that and what we're talking about, gentlemen? Here is education. People who are not educated are going to look at something and not understand it. Yeah. I mean, it's a very ironic thing. But think about it like this: How can you understand something and understand that you are stupid about something if you're very, very stupid about something? Because <laughs> arrogance and pride. People don't want to admit that they're stupid about anything. But the irony, gentlemen, is right. If you don't know about something, you will not recognize if you are making errors with it. I'll give you an example. So many people over the years, they come up to me because I'm <laughs> teaching fencing classes, right? I'm teaching fencing classes, and they, oh, Matthew, I, I always loved the idea of learning about fencing. I'm like, oh, good. You know, did you ever take a class? No, but I, I always knew I'd be good at it. I'm like, really? How would you know? And they're like, oh, well, I just I see the movies and I love Zorro. Deep down in my heart, you know. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, look, are you are aware though that fencing and actual swordplay is almost nothing like what you see in the films, right? Is what I'd ask them. They're like, oh no, I just, uh, well, I don't know. I just think I'd be great at it. And man, all the swashbuckling and swinging the swords around. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, you can just it till you make it, bro. They think yeah. they. They think they'd be good at something, but they have no idea. And on, on honestly, sometimes Dude, I give these me. lessons to these adults. I remember I gave this lesson to this one adult who was so excited and raring to go. And when I started teaching the most basic fencing lesson, I mean, it's true. They were kind of bored out of their mind, and they didn't understand. They, they want to do backflips and shit. Yeah. What's that? I said they want to do backflips and parry and, and, yeah, and some Three of Musketeers shit. What I would, when, and what was basically happening is sort of like, not to bring it back to Michael J. White, but it's it's exactly the kind of thing. I was trying to teach this person sort of Michael J. White where he's like, you got to punch like this style and here's the very specific mechanics and no, 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 no. Nobody wants that. But you know what? I'm telling you, like if you want to be a good fencer, you have to have good foundations. You have to have the basics. If you do not have them, you will not be a good fencer. You can't even be a great fencer. Certainly not if your mechanics and basics and foundations are rickety or poor. Basically, it's like the way I look at it is with anything in life. If you're going to build a building, 
if you build the foundation properly and it's a strong foundation, yeah, then you can build floor one, floor two, floor three, floor four, 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 four. But if you build your foundation pretty poorly, <clears throat> you build up to third floor, you got to tear the whole building down again. And you want to do any more floors, they say you got to tear it all down again and start all over, son. And you're like, why? Because you guys screwed up, you hurried, you were lazy, and you were just in a hurry to get the building erected and up. Well, guess what? You got to start all over. So they're like, "Why don't you spend six months on the foundation and get it right, and then all the other stuff will go like butter?" Instead of saying, "Hurry up, hurry up, build the foundation, go, 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 go," then you hit what's called the glass ceiling. And hey, that even happened to me as a fencer. I knew there was going to be things that I wasn't going to be great at. You know, I was not going to be an Olympic athlete. I think but, in um, life, everybody aware. wants their own montage. They just want to, you know. It's the go over in one scene yeah. that's fast forward with a bunch of clips mm -hmm. through a long period of time, and then they're just good at the end with the blink of an yeah. eye. Yeah, yeah, and that's the that irony. Is it, I mean, I'm not trying to say how <laughs> can you blame them, but in a way, it's sort of like, well, they treat their lives like it is a movie, and that's the thing is, it's like, look, yeah, I do. It's gone great for me so far. I mean, I got a lot of great experiences. <laughs> I climbed the mountain. I went to jail. Uh, I keep, never mind. It's, this is not about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, but it is what it is. And it's just like, yeah, um, you know, it takes time. All these kinds of things. Like That's even when people would see the movie, lightsaber yeah. performances, the, the reason I feel that I don't see some of the same style performances that I made with other people. And here we are many years later. Like, I mean, some of my first productions were in 2000, you know, like I said, five and six. And I'm still waiting to see ones that are that rival it in some fashion. Some of them are pretty good. I've seen some great live performances out there, but they still don't have things like dialogue, story, staging, and in some cases even acrobatics and stuff. And I wonder why. But at the same time, it's because it takes so much. If you don't do like a quadruple backflip, triple fucking barrel roll, and then land and then <laughs> parry the other dude's shot at the perfect time, I'm fucking done with you. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some of that you'd be surprised. There, there's this, you know, like I said, there's this wonderful uh, martial art sport called tricking, and a lot of these guys do those awesome flips and kicks and stuff like that. So it's possible. It is possible to do all that stuff, even live, without cables and all the other stuff. But it's very difficult to put all the pieces together, and so that's why it's, it's difficult. It's just like why, you know, someone says, you know, Star Wars has held on for so long as being, you know, uh, this is the not just because they're the highest grossing movies of all time, all this kind of stuff like that, but it's just like, you know, so many of these parts were put together in these interesting ways that no one else was really able to replicate it all right, for but, decades. But now we're just such diehard fan. I heard it. I heard it told told best by this uh this old school goth dude, and I mean like he was like real goth. This 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 dude was like thirty five when I was like twenty five. You know. Mm -hmm. He's from a different era, you know, like some typo fucking negative shit. And he's just like really happy about the world that he, about the fact that he fucking hates life and is waiting to die. You know, he wasn't like, he wasn't emo. It, it was just a trip to, to listen to this guy talk. Like, yeah, dude, fucking psyched about like uh, dying and shit. Like, what? I mean, it's a perspective. I don't know. I don't know if I would agree with it, but it is like this, the hearing this dude talk about Star Wars. He put the nail on the head. He's like, it's it's practically garbage these days, man. But like, you throw in the Force and a Star Wars and, and a lightsaber, and I'm, I'm sold. You know, I'm buying the ticket. I'm going to see it. I'm, I'm getting the game. 
And he's right, man. Like, I don't... I've always followed Star Wars, and I don't really know or care what they're going, where they're going, but I'm going to keep looking into it. You know, I'm going to keep... Uh, I'm gonna keep going to the movies. I'm gonna keep buying the games, like uh, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be that guy at the end of the movie. Like this was fucking garbage. Can't wait to the next one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, see, I'm, I'm, I definitely have a different perspective on. I would say even all the films. Like for example, I know that almost everybody agrees that they all seem to love four, five, and six, and I do. I loved all the originals. I also kind of have a very unique look at. Episodes one, two, and three, and I won't go into all the reasons. Yeah, why, yeah, like I'll, I don't hate them, man. I'll say one like, thing it's, about it's them. It's trendy to hate them, but I don't hate them. If if anybody wants to learn at least a little bit more about episodes one, two, and three, and they they're a little bit more analytical and technical, and they want to know, like, okay, well, how come we feel that they're not great, or we feel that they're weird? Look up a site called Star Wars Ring Theory. And it's no—it's not some weird psychotic site. It's just—it's a website dedicated that this guy did sort of an, an analysis on I what like he thinks George people. Lucas was up to doing yeah. those movies. And I won't go into it in detail. I'm digging that. Be here like, for a long time. like the dude explains why people hate the prequels and shit. Not exactly. What he does is explain what he thinks was going on with all of those that um, most people just completely missed. And again. It's arguable, and some people might say they still don't care, and that's fine. My point is to just educate. Like I'd say, if people want to find out more about episodes one, two, and three, and why they might have been crafted the way they were, I would look up StarWarsRingTheory.com. Yeah. It doesn't excuse everything from those films, um, but I will say that oh. I believe that George Lucas was trying to do something that was not your atypical movie formula. Yeah. Um, which seems clear because then people would say, well, that seems clear because he had so many villains and well, so many storylines and all these different things that, are happening. That puts some things into perspective how people are like, oh, like, blah, 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 they're tired of this old storyline with the hero and the dark uh, suppressing exactly. power. But then you try to give them something new and they're like, oh, my God, this is new. This is garbage. Well, uh, what you know the what's fuck? Funny about that? Just that a moment ago. Exactly. That I mean, that is exactly what what you just said that is exactly how i feel about there was star wars 7 and 8 it's cuz movies like have seven. existed for too long and now they're like everything's garbage period well, what about no that's garbage too but it's 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 new age and we're doing it no that's garbage too well there's just no fucking pleasing you. i like i like yeah. 7 i'll be i'll be honest. Like i'm the one that was i'm the eight. one in this group. all right dude dude i'm sorry i i didn't mean I, to cut you off i'm the one <laughs> i like 7 too i'm the one in this group that's kind of a uh, uh, on a the hater on eight, yeah, dude. No, no, and, and Adam put some shit. I think you might have put this, uh, this thought that I, I feel like is my own, and I tell people this like I came up with it, but in hindsight, you might have put this in my head. Uh, the director was just shutting down fan theories, and he was so obsessed with being like, fuck your fan theory, and fuck your fan theory, you're cool, fuck your fan theory. You know, and he did that the whole movie to where like everyone had fan theories on the on the on the past of Snook and where or, or Snooky, uh, Snoop, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wherever he came from. You know, and, and he just died immediately. Like fuck, where he came from? Oh, what about Ray's parents and are they significant? Her parents were scavengers. Fuck your theory. You know, it was just like every theory anyone had. It, and, he, and, and, like, the director was like, it's fucking bullshit, we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny you guys mentioned, because, again, it's like when people 
if they're able to get calmed down and silent a little bit in their minds about things, they can look at things with a better eagle's eye perspective. And here's my perspective on seven and eight. Seven was definitely a safe return for Star Wars. Yeah, I think they and they, yeah, right? they, they brought aboard, of course, J.J. Abrams, who obviously brought a wonderful hand to it and i i like seven seven was a good film it's arguable though that, you know now some people say oh it's a copy of the i don't care about trying to compare it and do weird things i'm simply saying that let's be honest it was a safe return there wasn't anything so out there and like whoa blow your mind with seven other than saying wow the graphics wow the uh costumes wow the uh the, the footage and ooh, these beautiful things and you know she there was also some cool stuff though where she had the uh, the dream and that was very cool so I yeah. think that was the, the craziest that they went and even that was a nice uh, like when she she touches the lightsaber um, in seven and she has that weird dream kind of thing like the visions um, the closest that I felt like that was uh, going way out there in left field was they kind of did that in Empire Strikes Back when he's like you know uh, and you must go. And he's like, you know, what's the, what's inside? Only what you take with you, you know? <laughs> um, so it was similar to that. That's what I felt. And that was the closest they got to trying to push the envelope anywhere. But in, in a way, it was still a callback to Empire with that vision. Now, talking about eight, I fully believe that Rian Johnson knew precisely what he was doing. Now, that said, if people said, I didn't like it, that's fine. They can have their reaction. But I believe everything about eight was revolved around two major, major crucial things that if you have an eagle's eye perspective and you said you could only say two things about Star Wars 8, what would they be? The movie was about failure, and the movie was about getting past those failures. And that's it. I mean, yeah, someone can say, well, if we zoom in closer, Matthew, I'm like, yeah, then there's a lot of plot points and people can argue them left, right, up, and down, but think about it. Absolutely everything in the movie is showing a failures that either the heroes were making or the the uh, villains were making and then about p how, how people get past those failures sometimes in a healthy way and sometimes in a worse way think about it makes a lot of sense luke considered himself a failure and he was just retreating and staying off in this you know whatever i'm not going to go help the things and i uh, fuck the jedi i don't care about it and i whatever they gotta die and everybody's like get over yourself for two minutes and come help us right that's what the whole plot point is and it took him the entire film for him to get out of his head and and admit okay i was a failure yoda even said it right right it, it was a big lesson that yoda says where he's just like you know failure is the best teacher you know, and pass on what you learned to Ray, and don't have her repeat the mistakes that we did. And it was really interesting. I found it to be pretty moving. Um, yeah, because you in know, the, beginning, the failure the of, of of what is it? Uh, um, Finn and Rose head off on that mission. Now I know a lot of people were like, "What the hell was going on in Canto Bright?" Look, I actually like, I liked the. Uh, that's the one right. part I liked. All right, well, I'm in between. <laughs> let me let me tell you, like, because like I understand where Adam's come from, but uh. Cause he really liked it, and I'm I'm in between. Cause I like I didn't really like it, Which but I, uh, the what was it eight the the whole eight episode oh, the Canto Bright yeah yeah the thing is is like I understand spinoff adventures within the Star Wars movies that's part of Star Wars thing right 
He just froze. Yeah, I was like, I was, oh I was my going. God. No, I was like, I can't remember why I hated it. I, was, I remember hating it, but now I'm recalling it in my mind, and I'm disagreeable no, okay. with all so, of it. You know, so like, my, no, 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 like, so that was problem, okay, I guess. My, yeah. my problem with it is less about it the uh, story. It didn't matter. Whenever, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm back on track. It didn't matter. Whenever they go off on some tangible fucking random adventure, it still somehow matters. But now it's like, all about this girl's emotions, about how like she cares about the creatures and shit. And there's no real nothing at stake other than uh, this dude's relationship with this girl that doesn't really matter yet. Well, if you recall though, and that's my point about this whole thing about failure, they went off to go find this code breaker, and then it turned into they it didn't work out. Like they screwed up, they failed their mission. Now it's true that they found something else to do while they were there. They couldn't let it go. The thing with the creatures and the slaves. And by the way, that's the irony to me is like how this failure was dealt with. I think it would have been perfect. Let, well, let, let me let me finish because I I'm think sorry. you guys might like this. Because I had no, I had to think about this. I um, it took me a while to get to this thought process too with the uh, when I was thinking about that Canto Bright scene because when I first saw it I was like what the hell like I don't know why they did that and I know there's got to be a reason because there's no playwright or a playwright script writer whatever out there who would write this kind of thing without a purpose honestly you just wouldn't do it it's just impossible to think that someone would do it without some kind of you know intelligence yeah it's purpose. like you're saying what I'm and saying and what I realized was I think that it was exactly that. It had to be a failure, but what they succeeded at, and this was completely by accident, they weren't even thinking about it, is they inspired that next generation. We often forget about all those little youth, the kids, that oh, kid yeah. at the end with the broom, is that none of them had ever seen the rebellion. They only talked about it, and they would play and pretend, oh, I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm this, that, and the other, and they had and probably heard about the, but they were slaves, they never once saw anybody rebel, and they lived in this rich community where they were slaves, the rich were the rich, and that's how it was. Uh, but then, they're seeing this enter is Finn and Rose like yeah. a bunch of freaking jackasses, they're running you know, catty wampus all over everything. They're destroying the casino, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, what the hell is this?" And afterwards, right, you see that kid where remember she gives him the little ring or whatever, and then he's like, "Yo, this is real." Like I thought all this stuff was a bunch of things to make us feel good, but then he literally, this young kid knows, and he's going to be able to pass that on to he's all like, his wow. other um, future buddies and kids. He's going to say, "Yo." The rebellion is real. We thought that we were just the the, uh, the downtrodden, and that's our lot in life, and we're going to stay that way for the rest of our lives. But me, again, personally, I think that's why it was written in, is that although, yeah, Rose and Finn and the side quest and the code breaker, they, they, all that got fucked yeah. up. None of that worked. That you was know, a big, giant mess for the, re the actual rebellion. I but the irony theory. is it ends up indirectly inspiring the next generation of rebellion, aka all like those that. kids. I, I like that idea because it ha it, it coincides with this precisely with this theory that I have. That uh, okay, like I've heard uh, or read, I should more say, uh, mm -hmm. producers and directors and like people behind Star Wars today talking about how they want to expand more on the origins and just like including the gray jedi you know like the jedi like the in between you know and i and right. I, I feel like that's where they're trying to lead with uh with uh Kyro Lin, uh, Ren and uh and Rey you know like they're, yeah. they're they're neither sith nor jedi they're tired of the whole shit all right but I my agree. my theory now like i could turn out to be completely wrong as theories do 
My theory is that they're going to slightly, just like like you're talking about, like uh, they're setting up to the new generation of the Rebellion, and the new generation's going to be Grey Jedi. All right, now, like, they're doing, like, they're going to do, I bet you they do three trilogies, or two different trilogies. Seven, eight, and nine are setting up the Grey Jedi, and 10, 11, and 12 are about the Grey Jedi. Now, I, I don't know. That's what I think. No, I, th- I don't think it's a bad theory at all, and especially when you try to also then to tie it all the way back, and then this will be a weird moment maybe, or, or we'll just see what you guys think is. So in episode one, when Obi-Wan is young and Qui-Gon is there, you know, Liam Neeson and all this kind of stuff, yeah. if you recall, when they first are going into the Trade Federation, both of them are kind of like, this is kind of boring, like, you know, we're supposed to be these great, you know, peacekeepers yeah, of the galaxy, we're, here, about, we're about to go have a little meeting, yeah. and the only reason the story can even start there is because shenanigans go on, something, they're trying to gas them, and something's going on, and, you know, yeah. but otherwise, think about it, when the galaxy is doing well, then the Jedi have not necessarily no purpose, but they're like kind of neutral and boring and like it, in other words it's like if you're a police officer in the in the place where the least crime ever occurs let's be honest you're bored as hell yeah you're rolling you're you're twiddling your thumbs like i wish there were gangbangers around here Maybe to a point, or at the very least, you are becoming complacent, and that is the cyclical kind of thing about the way any society works. And also, um, by the way, that's the thing. George Lucas was always about all that stuff like that. He was very much a um, like most most people don't know that George Lucas would have been an anthropologist if he didn't get involved in filmmaking. And you can literally look up tons and hundreds, well, maybe not hundreds, but you know, several dozen videos uh, that when he's being interviewed, he'll tell you those stories. So in case people think, oh, this guy is, who's this Matthew Novastar Corrado guy? He's pulling stuff out of his butt. I'm like, no, look it up. He was basically studying anthropology. It's half the I reason, if every not word all say, the reason Matthew. why Leia had those very interesting buns as her hairdo. It goes, it makes a callback to a, uh, um, I forgot if it was a Spanish princess or a girl of Spanish descent. It's hard to explain, but like he borrowed all these kinds of things from um, actual history um, is what he was doing. You'd have to look it up and you'll find out what I mean one day. But anyway, it would call it all the way back to showing that he's always been talking about how there's these political powers and they rise and fall. And hell, even Natalie Portman as Padme has one of the best lines. She's like, so this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause. And it echoes precisely what happens in the world all the time. We put these dictators into uh, positions of power um, and we do so because we're complacent. We get to a point where society is um, and it's all because going God so well. Are. Everything is going so well that we become complacent. We're like, oh yeah, everything's great, and there's no crime, and everybody's happy, and da 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 da. And then you know, and then suddenly, you get a George R. Banks in politics, right and now. he fucks I shit mean, up. I'm not trying to be all political, but like, look who's in office right now. A bunch of George R. Bankses. That's exactly what. <laughs> it's complacency. It's because we let ourselves go into those places, and then what has to happen? We got everybody's got to step up and ante up like men and women and kick in and kick butt and do something to make some matter. Then what happens? Change. Things go on. There's fights and struggles and power. And then eventually, as years, hundreds of years go by, it, it kind of everything settles and it becomes complacent again. And it's a cyclical thing. And even and George Lucas was, as far as I know, 
definitely, definitely trying to teach that through the four, five, and six, and definitely through episodes one, two, and three. So if Rion Johnson was trying to bring it back to that, I don't know, I'm saying mission accomplished, like he was literally showing how, you know, this regime thing happens again. Like, you know, the the First Order is just a, a shittier copy of the Empire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is true. It's just a, think about it, right? It's like Kylo Ren and, uh, who was, uh, Dominic, oh my God, I forgot, Dom, Dom Hall, oh, damn it, I don't know how to say that guy's name. The actor who played, uh, the, the, the Imperial-ish guy in, in, you know, yeah, episode know seven. I don't know the actor's name. Yeah, I know you're talking Domhnall about. Domhnall Gleeson. Domhnall Gleeson. The imperial-ish guy. I thought that was his name that he was Christianly born with. <laughs> what is it? Dom. I'm trying to honor the actors' names because right, it's Domhnall Gleeson, and then right, Adam Driver is Kylo Ren. You know. So anyway, the point is, you know, they're they, you know, they're all <laughs> they look like crappier copies of the previous regime and everything. You know. Yeah, well, that was supposed to be the, like to take you back to that era. All right, like we're not doing pre. Uh, four, five, and six anymore. This is after four, five, and six. We're not doing pre-takeover. Uh, the the empire has taken over and lost, and we're in the future. And now there's stormtroopers and imperial officers and the whole shebang. You know? Yeah, that's the thing. Is this cycle repeats? And remember, this is supposed to take place thirty years later. I mean, maybe they had to do that because you know Mark Hamill and Carrie. Rest in peace, Carrie. Spot. We love you. Oh um, and, Har- and Harrison Ford were all you know it was thirty years older. You know, but the point is, Where's it was Carrie basically Adam? showing another callback to their like, yep, the bad guys have come back and we got complacent again, and now we got to go and rise up to the occasion again. Yeah. Well, man, uh, hate to end this right here, but I mean, it was fun talking to you. Uh, uh, yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, um, is there any last plugs you'd like to say or anything we missed? Um, no, I mean, we could always do another one another time. I mean, I'm trying to think if, if, you know, people, I don't know who's going to be, you know, listening to the show, but they can just go and support by looking at the, I guess the YouTube channel is the easiest way to get in contact with me. I have Facebook pages as well, if people want to look it up, but, uh, you know, they can just look up youtube.com slash saber combat. Uh, Facebook is probably the same thing where you go Facebook and then I don't know what words you use, but then to get pages, there's saber combat. There's also saber combat Nova star or whatever. And that way they can go and look look and see uh, what work I've done in the past. I probably won't be uploading uh, more content to all those places anymore um, based on that I'm kind of moving forward and, you know, my time has come and gone. There's a time and place for all those things. But, uh, yeah, you know, people can feel free to go ahead and say hi. I'm I'm friendly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Man, it was, it was awesome to have you on. It was it was great yeah, it really chatting was. with you. Yeah, dude. Uh, we're gonna have to. We'll probably we'll probably end up splitting this. Uh, not this episode, but like the. Uh, we 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 uh, label things by the beer we're drinking, and so we'll probably because <laughs> we are opinions and beer. So we'll probably be splitting yes. beer and opinions here. We'll probably be doing a part one, part two, because we do have a uh, a second interview to get to. Uh, I wonder sometimes if our viewer or or if the people we're interviewing even know that we're like steadily getting more drunk as we interview you. No, they can tell. It's they cute. might know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's because Adam keeps us cool the whole time. The other guys get more and more drunk. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> cause I'm, I'm, I'm pretty complacent. Yeah, he is. And I'm, like, I'm not having fun enough. Let me chug this beer and then ask this guy this question. <laughs> oh, 
that's that's the fun of the channel, right? I suppose that's <laughs> that's part of the shtick. And then yeah. hey, you can always do the 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 uh, what do you call it? The the shout outs to the beers, right? And get the you're like exactly. sponsor. Yeah, exactly. Maybe so, one exactly. of them will sponsor us one day. Well, yeah. I, I think that would be the point too. After uh, a while, yes. you'd say, "Hey, I've been drinking enough of this beer." I mean, you guys could be like the angry video game nerd and do a rolling right, rock. That's what or we what said to them, but apparently we're nobody. No, no, <laughs> no. Hey, we don't. <laughs> Join the club. Join the club. It's okay. No, but that's cool. I had a great time, and uh, Adam Keenan. It's great to chat oh, with you guys, and I appreciate the opportunity. I, for me, oh, sorry, I'm just that's blessed. A phenomenon. I feel that uh, no one ever being able to be a part name. of the Star Wars community for the last ten or twelve years years was really an honor and blessing for me. It, it it didn't happen maybe to other people in this particular regard, and I was lucky to do all that stuff. And it's interesting now to see where all the rabbit hole is going with other folks in the community. But I feel like my time, like I've done what I've done, and you know, not to quote Obi Wan, but I'm like, I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much for being on. That was Matthew Nova Star. Uh, thanks again, man. You bet. May the force be with you and never forget. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. <laughs> oh, shit. That was so good. Thank you, man. <laughs> Goodbye, man. Take care. Thank you. Okay, that was Matthew Novastar. Great guy. Make sure to follow him. Uh, you can probably find him on Facebook. We'll we should have a link somewhere in the description. And that was awesome. Star Wars. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the Star Wars talk. I think that the, I think Ryan Johnson implemented a lot of nia. I didn't get to say it, but um, nihilism. I think Ryan Johnson implemented a lot of nihilism in uh, the Last Jedi that I certainly don't agree with. That I, I think that uh, some characters should have been held up to higher regard. And I think that Ryan Johnson just showed a blatant disregard and um, in caring about about old characters. And I I don't want to get into this right now. This is this is obviously we've spoken quite some time about about Star Wars. So maybe another episode I'll get deeper uh, into my thoughts. But um, in my thoughts, they're just they're just my opinion, and that's fine. Because all we have here are opinions and obviously beer. Opinions and beer. Opinions and beer. Can't go wrong with opinions and beer. Opinions and beer. Opinions and beer. Because all we got here are opinions and beer. <laughs>